We're super honored to have Robert Glover with us. He is that footballer. He is the family that I mentioned that said yes to an invitation by the Chinese government to go from UK to China. Robert, it is a pleasure to have you with us this weekend. You know, we talk about a lot about missions. Our yes, our yes is impactful. Our yes has ripples effects. What did this yes look like for you? Mm. Well, I think yes was easy. As a football player, soccer player, you call it here. <laughs> Got to get it right, haven't I? Um, you know, we, we give 100%. If we don't give 100%, you go out 50 or 75%, you lose the game. So you learn to be 100%. So when, you know, we looked at our faith, we didn't want to be 50% Christians. You don't want to be 50% Christian, do you? You don't want to be a 75 You know, just turn up on Sunday and then forget it for the rest of the week. You know, we wanted to be 100% because we realized what Jesus done for us. We wanted to give everything. Uh, I like telling stories, and I think once I, you know, had that yes, um, I spent quite a long time in China, and uh, I was their consultant. They had a one-child policy, and I had six children, and we all laughed about it. You know, I was working with the Chinese government. I built relationships with those guys. And you might say, well, you know, where's God in all this? Well, I took this journey on a train with a senior member of the Communist Party. He knew me. He knew I was a Christian. And he was teasing me on the train and saying, there are no Christians up in uh, this city where we're going. They're all Buddhists and they're all, you know, Taoists and Confucian and I said, I don't care. You know, God told me to put children in families because he made the family for children. Children should grow up in families. So he said, okay. And he kept trying to persuade me. We got up there and we went to the great people's hall in the city. And uh, he got up and told a joke about me. And uh, my Mandarin wasn't too good. I didn't understand. It was something to do with football and being a big man. And he's a Christian. And no one laughed. They brought in the first 20 families that were going to take the children and he told the story again and again no one laughed and then one woman put her hand up she said I'm a Christian and then the next one and then the next one all 20 were Christians all 20 you can imagine how embarrassed he was on the train journey home he was saying to me how come it's the Christians are doing this I said well it's in our DNA it's who we are it's part of our Bible you know our scripture we're taught and he said, that is remarkable. I'm going to do some research in China. I'm going to research three provinces to see how many families. By this time, we'd gone to hundreds of thousands of Christians. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the greatest revival of Christianity was happening while we were in China. It is massive. I bumped into the, uh, Pastor Job in the house church in the earthquake in 2008. And he mobilized 10 million people in his churches to take the children. Incredible. About two months later, that senior official came back to me. And he said, Robert, he said, I don't believe this. He said, 80% of the children, the families, are Christians. You see, sometimes what God asks us to do is a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. We don't have to do the whole jigsaw puzzle. You know that song, Waymaker, Miracle Maker? You know, I'll mess up every time. But when God comes in, he finishes that jigsaw puzzle. If you want to come along tonight, you'll, you'll get the story of how God in China took those little children from ashes in the orphanages and placed them into Chinese, Chinese families in China. 
and that's a remarkable story. So, yeah, please come along tonight. Well, Robert and I would love to invite you. Tonight, 6 o'clock, South Auditorium. We do ask you to register because we are providing dinner. So you can register online or at the table at the mall after service. I want you all to just say thank you to Robert for being here. Such an honor. As we continue, as we continue on with Orphan Care Weekend, we are super blessed to have Diane Herman, who is part of our Timberline family, come and share her story. Her story that is full of heartbreak, but where it intersects hope and is bringing life to thousands of children. We're so grateful. Thanks, Welcome. Carrie. Thank you so much. So it'll be in June, it'll be a year or 10 years um, this summer that my husband and I and our family sat in a little conference room over there getting prepared to be missionaries in Guatemala. And I had no idea what was on the horizon for us. Um, and now looking back, it's been quite a journey. Um, today we're going to talk about House of Hope, which we got to open in Guatemala, and it's so exciting, all the things happening there. But first I want to go back and, and give you kind of some background about how our family got to House of Hope opening and, and opening it in Guatemala. My husband Travis and I were from a small town in western Kansas. He was the oldest of four boys, and I was the youngest of three girls. After high school, we went to Kansas State, and where we started dating our sophomore year, and got engaged our senior year in August, and life was really good. We were just really um, living the dream. And then we went home in um, March to do some finishing touches on the wedding, and his mom thought he looked a little pale. So she took him to the doctor, and it was a week or two later when he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And um, our world kind of stopped. It was the first time in my life where I had to trust the Lord wholly with one of the gifts he had given me, but it wasn't going to be the last. Travis had surgery and had two feet of his colon removed and started chemo about um, seven days before our wedding. Whether it was going to be one day or the rest of my life to be by his side, that's where I knew I wanted to be. And so we were able over the next three years after we got married to start a family, and we had three beautiful children, Slate, Hope, and Isabel, and uh, Travis's cancer returned about every year to 18 months um, for, to his liver five different times. And we did all kinds of treatments, chemotherapy, traditional treatments, natural treatments. We did it all. Um, he wanted to live. He loved being a dad. He loved being a family man. And um, he was an amazing person on this earth. But in this, God taught us many, many lessons. And first was perspective. And that was not to sweat the small stuff in our little marriage and in our little family. And also perseverance and how to hang on when you have a rapidly fraying rope. We learned to live our, live our lives with a very heavenly perspective, teaching our children that this is not our home. After a 13-year battle, Travis moved on to his eternal home. And some people leave a mark on your life, and some people leave a crater. And Travis was definitely a crater kind of a guy. So we took our little family, and we um, prayed a lot. And with that, Isabel, the kids were 10, 8, and 5 at this time. And I tell you, being a single parent is no joke. 
Isabel cried every night for a year for her dad. And before my husband had um, passed away, he asked his younger brother, Justin, to take care of his family. And as you know, in our culture, kinsmen redeemers aren't really a thing. So we kind of had to just pray about that and, and see where to go. But we were both so broken and so um, devastated over, by the, over the loss of Travis that we um, decided to get married. We felt God was calling us to that and saying, doing it now, do it now. So we um, had one date going to Bassetti's in Old Town with Isabel in tow. And then on June 4th, we got married um, in 2006. And I tell you, it was a new journey for me, living a life with a normal routine. Because with Travis, our life had been in three-month increments. You know so many people have fought cancer that you know the drill. Three months, you get a checkup. If you're healthy, it's three months. And so we learned to live our life in three-month increments. And with this new life we had, it was interesting to see how other people lived. You could like plan a vacation six months down the road and go to it. And so it was a a new season that we were enjoying, figuring out how this was all going to work. And pretty soon, Hope, about six weeks later, had a soccer injury. She was a fourth grader and took her to the doctor for her um, deep thigh bruise multiple times. And turns out she had a tumor in her femur about the size of a softball. And you know, our world was shattered. I was just stunned at the Lord and stunned at what he had called us to travel through. And we um, just took one day at a time. The next 18 months were just pretty brutal. Hopi would throw up 18 out of 21 days of her cycle and then repeat it. And I'd watched Travis 13 years of cancer and I had never seen anything like this. Um, And she just, um, during that season we did a genetic testing to figure out why she had been, had cancer too, and it turned out she had Lee-Fermini syndrome. That's a childhood disease-causing syndrome. So Travis had had that, Hope had that, and Isabel had the gene, and Slate did not have the gene. So again, God just called me to trust him with these gifts he's given you, given me. And you have, when you have the gene, you have about a 50-50 chance that you will sometime in your life have cancer. And so hope was eight during this time. And through the season of suffering we had, there was so much unknown, but hope had clung to her faith. And she trusted the Savior every day. And I begged and pleaded in my prayers for her healing. And sometimes God just says no. And wrestling with that pushed my faith and caused me to look deeper into who he is and what he wants from me. Hope taught me so much during this season. She walked with grace and fully trusted God, his plan and um, what he had for her in this life. I watched this kid who I'd taught for so many years that this is not her home, and she started to look towards heaven. So in January of 2008, We could tell that she was um, getting near the end, so I'm holding her in my arms at home in my bed and just praying for the Lord to deliver her from this. And she looked up at me and she said, how do I die, Mommy? And I said, close your eyes, Hopi, and look for Jesus. 
because he's there. And she closed her eyes for the last time and I felt my heart just shatter in a million pieces. And the next years were a season of really circling the wagons in our family and walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And that time I had to be still, pouring into who God is and why we're here on this earth. And in 2011, our little family um, decided to go on a mission tip, trip here with Timberline and um, we went to Guatemala. And when we got there, we got to work in an orphanage where I got to see so many kids that needed advocates for them. And it just really rocked our world because we were so broken and we were so empty and searching to see what God had for us on this planet. So we um, came home and prayed about it for about nine months and then we went and moved down in June of 2012 into full-time ministry. And I started volunteering at an orphanage called God Bless the Children. And there was this little boy there who was a newborn. He was born without a finger and a thumb and a big toe and without the leg below his, le- his um, knee. He had constricted band syndrome. And I could tell this little guy was gonna need a lot of help and advocates for him because he had another band on his other leg that was squeezing to threaten his foot. So I got to take Isabel over there and we went over three times a week at least or more to work on his little foot and massage that blood back in there and work on getting him um, into a surgery. And for Isabel, that was such a huge thing in her life. She was 12, such an impactful time for her to learn how important it is to pour out and to focus on things besides yourself. It was a critical time in her relationship with the Lord and it was a true miracle in how it works down in Guatemala with adoption, but we got to adopt that little boy in 2015. So his name is Max and he's nine now and is the joy of our lives and keeps us humble every day. So, so in that same year in 2015, we got to open the House of Hope. And this is a home for children that are abandoned and abused. And it's an amazing thing to have a front row seat when the Lord trades your beauty for ashes. Through so much work done by teens and so many giving generous donors, um, we were able to transform this little house from a little three-bedroom home to what it is today, which is multiple buildings on the campus. And from a chain-link fence, people came down and built the wall and, and worked with us. And it's a beautiful place. And it's just amazing. The kids are just thriving there. Today, we have 18, 19 kids this morning, and um, the oldest is five. So you can about imagine how much of a party that is. <laughs> so in Guatemala, it's uh, really important to work in the courts because so many kids go in these orphanages and then they're just left there. And I know that kids need families, and my heart is restoration or adoption and not to leave these kids in these homes their whole lives. So. Um, it's, we do our, all of our own investigations and our home evaluations because we've learned not to trust the system because I want to see for my own eyes where these kids are going to go back. So our team does all of these amazing um, things. So, but we have a lot of fun with these kids. As you can see, our pool day pick. Um, we do lots of fun activities. And all we did was blow up a pool and fill it with water. And I mean, you'd have thought it was Disneyland. And it was funny, we have lots of babies, so those are definitely my nannies sitting in that pool. (laughs) So the next um, picture is a a couple of kids, Lupe and Francisco. And they've been with us for several years now. They came when 
Francisco was a baby and their parents were both killed. And our team um, works so hard to get these kids declared adoptable, but I cannot even tell you the cluster it is down there to make this happen. You have to investigate every person, every family member, anybody that could take these kids and see if they will and, and do that. And it takes a lot of work. And my, I have a rock star um, director who's also a lawyer. I met her at Max's adoption, which was just totally a God thing. She was an atheist. And um, she got to watch us with what we were doing. And she's like, why are you guys doing that? And so little by little, I got to um, just share the gospel with her just through what we were doing. And pretty soon she became a believer, which just was amazing. And now she is just an advocate for our kids. Last week she worked on a piece of legislation. She's been working on it for a year and a half to, um, and she presented it to the Congress so that we can have baby boxes in Guatemala. Because right now it's illegal to give up your children. So that's why so many of these girls who have been trafficked and are pregnant that are 12 to 15 years old dump their babies in the trash. So that's where we get the kids a lot of times is from the garbage, the trash, the street and abandoned. So we want to give those babies a safe space to um, be able to work with them. So the dinner table at House of Hope is a party also. You can about imagine I had a table custom made because I want everybody at the same table. <laughs> so yeah, our nannies are amazing. So, but I really feel like I want them to know this is a family and this is, um, they belong here at the table. And I think that's really important feeling for them all to, to feel like a part, even if we have a baby or two sitting in the middle of the table. It still works. <laughs> We're so grateful for um, all the incredible people that have helped us. And I've been able to watch with each kid we help at House of Hope, piece my piece, my heart has been put back together. And God has been so faithful in restoring my heart with pouring out to these kids. Another part of our ministry is a medical ministry. We didn't start out wanting a medical ministry, but sometimes God just moves and you see this huge need. So there's so many kids in villages around the country that need a lot of help with their physical needs and surgeries and things. And so one of the little people we had was um, named Catherine. And she came to us and she was um, from a village far away and another missionary had brought her to us because he heard we had a medical facility. And I'm like, we don't have a medical facility. We, we help kids. And so I'm like, I'll take her to the doctor. So he pulled up and I pulled this blanket back and I see this tiny little emaciated body covered in scabies. And this part of her body was just sucking in, you know. You never want to see that with your kids. And so I knew I didn't need to take her to a pulmonologist. I needed to take her to the ER. So we went to a private hospital and um, a long battle we helped with her double pneumonia and she was finally fixed with all the outside stuff like that, but then we had to work on her different issues that she had that had got her to that place. So we had her for three or four years over the time trying to get her back to her family who was a loving family but just was very, very poor in a village. And so um, a year ago, Timberline stepped up and donated to have a house built for her and a pila, which is where they wash clothes and store water and a bathroom with a shower and just clean water, and it has changed her life, and she's still there. And so Max and I went out a few weeks ago and took that long journey high up on that mountain and got to check in on, on her, and, and seeing her flourish was just a beautiful thing. And so I just want to say thank you for the amazing gift that you are to that little girl. So another part of our ministry um, is called the Loom Project, and I've done a lot of 
um, working with trafficking in Guatemala. We've done a lot of rescue, but I love prevention. Prevention is my heart, because if you can step into the path of that vulnerability, it is a beautiful thing. So our Loom project, um, I have a video to kind of explain what we do there. Loom is a project inspired by the many amazing women I have met in the villages of Guatemala. Many families make barely enough to buy food, and for single mothers, the struggle is even worse. Healthcare and education become luxuries that are unaffordable to many in this country. Millions of children are lucky to get one meal a day that usually consists of tortillas and rice. After working in the villages for several years, I have felt the need to help these women that I have grown to love. Out of this desire, Loom was created. Our partner, Anita, at Lake Atitlan grows the cotton. It is then hand-formed into thread. It is dyed organically and then weaved into beautiful products. She learned the technique from her great-grandmother and wanted to help the many women in her area that were needing work. It started with just a few, but now there are 25 women in the co-op. In another area of Guatemala, closer to Chimaltenango, are another group of women who work with Loom. They are women I have known for several years now, and we have walked through many things together. One of the weavers' name is Candelaria. She was one of the first women I met in Guatemala. When I met her sweet family for the first time, I noticed her little girl was bald. She was two years old, and I could tell she was not well. Candelaria told us how her little Erica had cancer, and she had been on chemo treatments. My heart sank. It had only been four years since Hope, our 11-year-old daughter, had passed away from cancer. The things Candelaria described were very familiar. I just couldn't imagine trying to fight cancer living in this village. They did everything they could, but soon Erica passed away in her mother's arms. I walked through this dark time with her family. I have found there is no other comfort after losing a child like the comfort of another mother who has lost a child. The Loom Project is going to help this mom be able to send her daughters to school. Beauty for ashes, it is how God works. During this time of working together, we are able to study the Bible too. There are four daughters in this family who will be learning this trade as well as they grow up. I am teaching them to dream big and also how to seek God's will for their lives, one weave at a time. We plan to export these products in order to keep from competing with other Guatemalans. My desire is to be able to grow this project, both spiritually and financially, to change the lives of women in Guatemala. I hope to empower them as women and to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Christ. So that's our Loom project. We're super excited about it. And where our tables are out in the mall that have a lot of the beautiful products the women have made. And they're just an amazing group of women that have taught me so much about trusting the Lord for food for the day. It's an example, and I know they're praying for us today too. It's been a cool friendship and sisters in Christ. So the next um, project that we have down in Guatemala is called Finca Isabel, and it's our newest project. In 2018, we purchased some land about 20 minutes from House of Hope with a dream of being able to work with more vulnerable children in Guatemala because trafficking is just very real and we see it so much. On this property, we've been able to grow crops and provide for many families who live in poverty, especially during the COVID season. Our team has built a road and a security fence around the property and we would like to build a church next. 
in a playground so that we can start doing discipleship day camps for kids that are in other orphanages along with our own. So many of these kids are um, stuck there for life. So I feel like if we can get their hearts when they are younger and teach them on a consistent basis about Jesus and doing it in a fun place like this, it's almost like the Garden of Eden there. It's just beautiful. So um, we're excited about doing that next step in our ministry. So in 2018, all was going really well. Um, Izzy um, was a second year student at Liberty University and Slate was a second year law student at CU Boulder and Max was a big first grader. And then I received one of those life-changing phone calls. It was my son Slate and he had gone to the doctor earlier that day because he was feeling kind of tired. It was 11 p.m. at night when the phone rang and he said, Mom, the lab just called and said I need to go right to the ER. I'm like, what? So I hung up with him and called the lab. And they said his white cell count was over 270,000. And I didn't want to ask this question, but I said, is this leukemic? And she said, yes, it looks like that. So I hung up from him and wanted to call my husband, but he was on a 15-hour flight he had just boarded from Mumbai with this church on a CrossFit mission trip. So the Lord and I had a lot of time that night to just talk about this. And I just asked him, what do you want from me, Lord? I love you. I love you so much. Please let me keep my children. So we drop, I dropped Max off the next day with a friend because his visa was um, needing updated. And I came to Colorado and hit the ground in the afternoon. And Slate was already starting um, the process of getting ready to start treatment. They diagnosed him with ALL which is um, a a form of leukemia. And my heart just broke, you know, because he was my non-gene carrier. We'd been doing Isabel's clinical trial for 10 years, watching for cancer because she had the gene. So I didn't see that coming. So I crawled into the wing of the Savior because sometimes you just have to go there and hang on because I knew I had a big road ahead of me. So Isabel knew the, how we do in our family when we're fighting cancer, and we kind of circle the wagons. And so she wanted to come home. And so um, she'd been fighting walking pneumonia and struggling on campus, so I sent my sister to go move her home. And Slate had started treatment on Tuesday, so we had a, him going, and so I took her to the doctor. And um, it was a friend of ours, and he called me and said she has no platelets. And so it just knew. So we checked it out, and sure enough, they had diagnosed her one week after Slate with ALL also. And I was just blown away, was devastated. And again, crying out to the Lord, but trusting him with the amazing gifts he'd given me. So Slate's leukemia, um, he went in remission after 30 days. And in the leukemia world, that's great, but you have a long road to hoe. So then he had another year of chemo, and he had two more years of maintenance, two and a half more years of maintenance chemo. So he just finished this past January, and he went finished law school and passed that bar on chemo brain, which is a total miracle. And now he's working at the Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C., and, and got engaged, actually, through the chemo journey. Found an amazing wife. <laughs> 
So that's Abby, she's on the right. And you know, when you travel the road that we have traveled, you just appreciate these moments so much because they are the good stuff. So we're so excited. Their wedding is June the 4th. And then on the left is our um, girl, Markenzie. She is our discipleship program girl that's just become knit into my heart. So we're so thankful for that. Isabel didn't quite um, do as well with her treatment. She did not go into remission at 30 days. And so after a couple of CAR-T transplants that failed, she, um, about a year later, went into a bone marrow transplant. And that was in October of 2019. And she was a ballerina. And she was an amazing girl who loved Jesus. And I had raised that girl to know this is not our home. And the world is not about you. And she had poured out every day of her life to other kids and other people. And that was such a gift to me. On February 21st, 2020, after being in the hospital for 101 days, 74 of them on IC, in the ICU intubated, she closed her eyes and went to be with the Lord. It was so hard. She was my best friend. And she had walked through the journey of the missionary world with me. And she was my right arm in the village, in the medical clinics, in the orphanage. And um, I miss her every day. But this life I have lived, I know one thing. The goal of this life as a believer is not to live the longest. If it were that when Jesus pleaded with the Father to pass this cup, he would have Sometimes God says no. Jesus, instead of living a long and happy life, poured out his life as a servant. And I don't have this life all figured out. And I miss my people every day. But I know I need to trust Jesus and pour out. And I've learned to love all of my children deeply and hold them loosely. Whether they're my bio kids or my House of Hope kids, God prepared my heart for that. And the work of House of Hope Ministries is a direct reflection in the outpouring of my grief. I found the key to working through grief was to living my life serving others. It's the key. When I am still on this, while I'm still on this earth, I will throw myself into the work God has for me to do. If you want to help us out today, we would love to have you become part of our team. But if you don't, that's totally awesome because there's so many places right here that you can plug into your neighborhood, your work, your life. I just want you to be inspired to make this life so much bigger than your own because it's so much better when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death to be able to focus on others and to pour out and to focus on eternity because we're headed that direction. This is not our home. In closing, take a listen to my girl, Hope. She's sharing her secret to this life with you. Her courage to live each day looking forward to eternity was a gift to me as she closed her eyes and looked for Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This corner.
So